How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the My360 Mindset Show. We have a very special guest, Wayne Sasso, mental skills coach with the Air Force out in Arizona, uh, former mental skills coach here at Impact. I'm sure a ton of athletes are excited to see you back, but welcome to the show and just kind of welcome back to this whole situation we got here. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's good to meet you. Uh, happy to be back. Um, hopefully, hopefully we have a pretty good conversation, but yeah, I'm super pumped to be back. Yeah, a lot of interesting things I want to touch on, especially just how you're doing your kind of performance coaching with uh, the military and any adjustments you've made or just how you would recommend doing uh, performance training in that population. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I can speak a little bit about just um, the role that I'm in, and then I can definitely dive into to some of the work that we do. Uh, so we, well, almost two years now, uh, moved out to Tucson, Arizona, working with uh, the Air Force, working with fighter pilots. So I sit in a uh, schoolhouse for A-10 pilots. And what I mean by that is I work mostly with um, instructor pilots and student pilots training to become um, qualified fighter pilots. Um, and in this role, so it is, it actually looks pretty similar to a lot of the individuals that work out of impact. So I work on a team with um, a strength and conditioning coach, a athletic trainer, um, a massage therapist, and a nutritionist. And so we work as an inter interdisciplinary team uh, to really work on the needs of the, the pilots. So the physical and the mental side of things. Uh, so in my role, it, it really hasn't changed much. It's just who sits in front of me has changed. Uh, so I spend a good amount of time in the classroom. And when we're in that classroom, we're working on things like uh, just the introduction and the practice of mental skills. So working on things like mindset, uh, confidence, uh, self-talk, but then also working with uh, other instructors on how to recognize and coach some of these different things. Uh, so helping them to see how it may manifest in one of their students. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool to be able to, to work with the athlete and then also work with the coach in a sense. Um, that's where we spend a ton of time. Another area would be your traditional sports psych work. So that one-on-one -on -one where we really drill down on um, performance challenges or things that they want to refine. Uh, so it could be uh, feeling like they're not getting the most out of training. It could be working with uh, the stressors of the job or the stressors of life. Um, it could be interpersonal things, feeling like they're not really gelling with the group um, or an instructor, uh, whatever that, you know, that, that coach athlete relationship. Uh, then the last thing that we spend time doing is working on uh, visual cognitive skills. So I work really close with the strength and conditioning coach uh, during their rest periods. So doing things like um, you would see like throwing tennis balls and helping them to work on the skills like visual tracking or um, visual scanning and eye-hand coordination, some of those different things that um, they're required to do in the job, but they wouldn't necessarily get training in um, outside of uh, the, the the jet that they're operating in. That That's an amazing blend. I love that. And, you know, yeah. I'm just curious, like, how did you even kind of get into all this and how did you find your interest in sports psychology? Yeah. Uh, so I'll go all the way back. So I grew up playing uh, lacrosse and was had aspirations to play at a collegiate level. Um, but for whatever reason, I dealt with really, really bad performance anxiety. And the way that I always explain it is like those pregame butterflies that you would get maybe in like a championship game or something that carried a ton of weight. Uh, I would get that type of nervousness going into practice every single day. 
And it was one of those things where it got old really quick and it kind of made me fall out of love with the sport. Um, and so I, 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 you know, I disconnected from the sport and the, the aspirations to play at a collegiate level kind of fell off. And from there, I went into an athletic training program. Um, I loved parts of it. I, I didn't gel with other parts, but, but one of the things that really, um, lit a fire for me was the sports psych classes that the athletic training program um, was required to take. And it just happened that the school that I went to had a sports psych undergrad. And so I ended up switching majors and it just felt like every time that I was in the classroom, um, I was always saying to myself, like, man, if I had these things as an athlete, like I I feel like I could have done a lot more for myself. Um, And so fast forward from there, I kind of just stuck with it and stayed on the track, um, did, master's work, um, got some really good internships working out of the program at BU. Um, and then from graduating, I kind of kept my foot in, um, mental health. So doing traditional outpatient work, but then also, um, still working in the field of sports psychology. Uh, I never, it was never part of my plan or a thought of mine to work in the military space. Um, But once I started to see some of these different opportunities pop up, um, it just it was something that if it was going to be offered to me, like I I couldn't pass it up. It was I I definitely never pictured myself going from working with um, athletes to working with with pilots. No, that's a great story. I appreciate you sharing it. I have something too that I always talk about just how I was a soccer keeper, played at competitive levels, but a nervous wreck every game. Ask if time was left just to see until I was done. And yeah, what sports psychology would have done for me, I, I always ask that. And so I appreciate you sharing that. It was interesting that you mentioned some of your outpatient work because currently I'm, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist as well, still doing gotcha. work. And I was just a little curious if you were comfortable speaking about that and your experience as an outpatient as well. Yeah. Uh, I actually just had a conversation about this yesterday. I, I felt like the outpatient work really helped me to like solidify my approach as a, as a provider, as a, as a professional. Um, it was really challenging work, uh, but it was really rewarding work. So um, an outpatient, I worked with uh, like the, the whole gamut, the depression, anxiety, substance abuse, um, even a couple of cases of psychosis. And it, you know, you do a ton of training in, in the, in the, in the academics and you do a ton of role-playing, but nothing really prepares you for that experience of really being in the seat and working with that client. Um, and so that experience, like I said, it was, it was really demanding, but it was something that helped me to really understand who I was as a practitioner. Um, and it, some of my longest clients were some, some of the ones that I deem like my greatest clients were some of the most difficult clients and they, they taught me a ton. Um, and so it's something that, uh, I don't think I would be able to do the work that I do now without that experience. Yeah. I, I, I love that you blend that kind of clinical experience with your current sports psych work. I try to do that as much as possible because I think it's so relevant. Um, specifically I do a lot of trauma informed work in my clinical, uh, job and, I find that if I can take that approach to a lot of things like energy management, nervous system regulation, all of that, it's so applicable to performance and clinical knowledge of just what the body is capable of uh, really helps kind of get the buy-in and increase just the individual's ability to be like, oh, this is a lot more biology than I thought, a lot more just going on with the body that I didn't realize I wasn't really in control of until I want to be. Yeah. And it's as much as people like to try and make the disconnect between the two, between mental health and performance, but they go hand in hand. 
And every, every athlete or individual that we work with is, is a human first. And so being able to kind of see and recognize those things is, is essential to the work that we're doing. Yeah. And, and clinically, I, I'm pretty happy to see that a lot of the stigma is starting to shift and that there is a lot more openness to mental health. Still in the sports psych world a lot in some of our work <laughs> in the schools. Uh, I do find that sports psychology really helps kind of open the floodgates like they really buy into it a lot in the schools and our athletic work. It's not just about something is wrong mentally. It's yeah. more, this is coaching just like you get physically. Uh, but I'm really curious about kind of that stigma in the military setting and just what you're up against and how you kind of address yeah. Um, it, so with, with any population, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced, there's always that, that first initial period that anything with a psych label to it, like people kind of avoid you in the hallway. They, they, they don't make eye contact and they, they kind of want to protect themselves with whatever you may be bringing. Um, and so it's, it, it was no different here. Um, and with my approach, and well, let me back up and start with this. Again, this is my, this was my first experience doing anything with the military. Um, and so I just did a ton of watching a ton of listening and a ton of asking questions. I didn't do, I don't think I did any interventions, any real work for like the first two to three months. I just was looking and listening and I feel like that goes a long way. And that's kind of how I was able to build the relationships and kind of break down that wall. Um, one of the things that I heard recently that's really stuck out to me is people don't care what you know until they know what you care, know that you care. And it was one of those things that like, it kind of had to fight against feeling like you weren't doing anything and kind of reminding myself like, no, like this is a part of laying the groundwork, being able to just be visible, ask people about their day to day, about their experience, who they go home to, um, and kind of trying to figure out what your role is. And I feel like that was something that has worked really well for me, um, kind of easing into it and not being someone that is coming in and trying to change the culture. Uh, well, I am someone that's coming in trying to change the culture, but not as strongly as, as some people might think. Um, because again, as I, I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm, I'm the first person that has been in this position. So I, I was kind of laying okay. the groundwork. It was, I wasn't someone, our background was not somebody they were familiar with initially. Yeah. And I mean, so many things that you're overcoming with just not having that military experience. I mean, I think that helps a lot of the athletes buy into us knowing that we were former athletes and at least kind of understand that. I know some of the athletes here push back on coaches that maybe didn't have that sport experience, but then realize, well, Okay, it's still an athletic experience. You, I can relate. Yeah. So it's that's a tough club to kind of break into and be. Up yeah. And so I, I really think that's a testament to the work you're doing. And just for the listeners, something that stood out to me, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, but it sounds like you're kind of masterfully using those common factors and that trust building process and taking that time without rushing that to really show them that you don't need to have that exact experience to be able to help. Yeah. And MDs do this all the time. Like you don't have to have gone through a, an illness to be able to diagnose, treat and work. With you know? Yeah, that's a great point. And it's so it's a it's a population where I'm working with a ton of high achievers. And so you kind of have to you got to be careful about it's because they've they found success without you. And so being able to recognize when you can help as opposed to just trying to manipulate and change everything is it, it definitely requires some finesse. Um, and like with a lot of the topics that we talk about, like a lot of the things are already included in this environment and it's just like being able to reinforce it or create a conversation for the group about it or kind of point to like, this is what the research says. 
why it's important because like a lot of these things they're doing it they're just through experience and trial and error and they found something that 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 works yeah yeah and, and I kind of want to shift gears going off of what you were talking about with just the the situations that these individuals are going to be in and how you apply these skills. So much of our work is focused on that stress control Mm -hmm. and to find that perfect balance a lot easier with athletics when this isn't a life-threatening situation. Someone won't get seriously hurt barring any sport injury. And still you see the body reacting as stressful as it does in those situations. Now, I do tend to see in some of our work, like first responder work, those stakes are just naturally higher and it is appropriate to have that level of stress. But of course, in military settings, you know, one mistake couldn't hurt yourself or a team member and result in serious damage. So naturally, there's going to be that pressure there. And I'm just curious how you kind of go about finding that, you know, that optimal zone of stress. If you even take that approach, how do you approach that? Yeah, um, I think, well, I find myself going often to mindset. Um, So this is a training environment and the conversation of growth mindset, fixed mindset is always an interesting one, whether you're talking with instructors or students, because like you said, there is, there is that point where sometimes we can't be growth mindset about, about certain things. Sometimes it is, (laughs) it's life and death. Um, But for me, I feel like it, I tend to go back to that as a way to um, find the evidence. And so they do a ton of training. They do a ton of um, simulators. Um, They do chair flying, which we we call imagery. Um, And so they do a ton of practice around what they're being asked to perform Mm -hmm. and being able to go back to and look at like, okay, we have done these different things. Um, Again, we are in training and you're going to see things that you didn't anticipate. But trust in your ability, trust in, trust in the fact that you have prepared for this, but then also accept the fact that there are going to be some mistakes because there are things that you were going to experience that there is no way to practice that um, without, without the experience. And so um, it's kind of a balance between, again, accepting and being able to learn and, and really dissect and look at the mistakes, um, but also being able to trust in our own abilities. Uh, they do, uh, it's so just like with sports, they watch a ton of film, go, they fly. And then the first thing that they do is they bring the tapes up and they say, okay, this was great. This was great. This was terrible. And being able to really take in the information and put aside that the personal piece, um, and really be able to one accept that I've made the mistake and then be able to take the information and use it going forward. And so, working with the high achievers, sometimes that can be a challenge. And so I feel like we spend a lot of time, whether it is with students or with IPs, just getting back to and kind of putting a flashlight or highlighting on the way that we're kind of interpreting or our perspective um, and and relating it to mindset. And you've mentioned the, the high achievers that you tend to see often in your work. And I'm just curious, do they tend to have like athletic backgrounds or are there other types of backgrounds that you're pulling on that are performance related, maybe like music, theater, just yeah. any of just performance setting. Do, are, are you finding that there's a common thread or theme of what backgrounds they bring into the setting? You can definitely, well, in my experience, they can definitely tell the individuals that do have an athletic background because you, you see the, the vocab and the things that we talk about click a little faster, but the background is, it's really amazing. The wide range. Um, so we got prior athletes, um, 
prior soldiers, um, individuals that were, you know, just went through college as, as a traditional major. Um, so you definitely see the gamut, but, um, when we talk, um, mental performance and some of the different vocabs, some of the different strategies, you definitely see that they click clearer for the individuals that, that have an athletic background. Right. So that ends up helping kind of the buy-in with your, your skills and your coaching. Definitely. Definitely. Nice. Nice. I like that. Now, um, a question that I'm also curious about, because I, I love that you mentioned it and it is something that I notice, whether it's a school setting like corporation or just sport culture, like sports psychologists and mental skills coaches, like we are doing that culture shift. And I'm just curious kind of what you're up against, if you're comfortable talking about different things you've noticed and ways that you've tried to start shifting things to a more performance oriented like culture and just want to just enhance kind of all around that coaching and that buy in. Yeah. Um Again, I think it starts with mindset. Uh, I think a lot, again, the expectations are super high. Um, and so whether it is the individuals that are um, in leadership roles, so are working as instructors and helping them to con continue to see themselves as works in progress, continuing to help them to see them um, as uh, longtime learners uh, is something that I, I tend to focus on. Um, that's a big one for me. And then other challenges, time is a big one. Um, time is, is a premium here for sure. Um, one of the things that, that I was blown away about when I first got here is learning that flyers have more than one job, like that their only job isn't just to fly. And so getting in front of them, um, can be difficult. And so, having to make yourself really available. So I, I sit in the squadron and I sit um, in an office where they're called flight commanders. And so the flight commanders kind of bridge the gap between instructor and student. And they kind of, uh, they have the real pulse of, of the environment. And so I situated myself in here so that as things pop up and as things arise, things get handled and solved quickly. And so I'm able to be in a position that kind of I'm in the room where the, the problems get solved. Um, and so being able to proximity and like proximity and time, um, being able to be in a position where they have to be by me, they have to, you know, I'm, I'm in their face is something that is, uh, a, a big part of addressing that time issue. Um, and then it also ties into working with the rest of the team. So I spent a ton of time working with the strength and conditioning coach. Um, one, because it's a part of my role and and using that time to, to work on the visual cognitive skills, but it's also a time where a ton of information back and forth is passed. Um, it's, it's an hour where I know that individual is going to be for the whole hour. And so I can hear about um, what's been going well this week. I can hear about the challenges that they've, that they're facing, that the group is facing. Um, and I can kind of, you know, pick out that information, but also kind of, work my way in to kind of set up other things. And so time is a big one. And so being able to recognize, you know, how to utilize the time the best has, has been something that has been really important to the role. This has just been absolutely awesome and very informative. So I really appreciate this. Uh, you mentioned time. So I would like to respect yours and just <laughs> um, highlight some of the amazing things that you hit on and things that I actually want to pass down to coaches that we're going to be working with, especially the individual that is a military member and is very adamant and passionate about that population. Yeah. So, uh, you don't have to be a military member, but you do have to kind of follow those uh, therapeutic common factors of, you know, that trust building process, being genuine, 
being empathetic, being able to just trust the process and build that rapport. And then once you're in, you're in and you can use that collaborative approach, which I think is amazing that you're doing. You're, you're in every aspect of the team and you're being, being able to communicate what you're doing throughout every kind of arm, which I think yeah. is awesome. Um, and just, it's really cool to know that you didn't really know that's what you were interested in until later. And that's something that was really interesting and you ran with it. That's incredible. Um, and I just, I really love that you hit on some of the clinical experience. That's something I'm always adamant about to any aspiring sports psych or mental skills coach, just the clinical experience pays off dividends. And if you can get it, if it's just a practicum or a training, like do everything you can to try to get that experience and incorporate it into your work. Um, I'm sure you also hit on so much more, but and you feel like you want to add before we start wrapping up? Uh, no, just, just listening to you talk. Um, it, something that I, I, I thought that I wanted to hit on that I, I just remembered is that like the imposter syndrome is something that like, oh, yeah. when I, when I talked about not knowing that I wanted, I wanted anything to do with this role, like that is something that comes up a lot for me, but also comes up a lot in this space. Um, and like, I guess it kind of ties into mindset, but just wanted to highlight the fact that like every single day I, I had to challenge myself and, and challenge the feeling of like, I don't, belong in this space or like, I, I don't, I don't have the experience to be here. And just reminding yourself that like, again, a, a continuous work in progress, like I'm here to learn. I learn things. I'm still learning things going into year two. Um, and just being able to be comfortable with that in myself, but also recognizing it and, and having that conversation with the people around me as well. It's that annoying Dunning-Kruger curve, right? Mm -hmm. Frustrating. Yep. And for any of the listeners that are curious, the imposter syndrome is that whole thing based off of in the beginning, when you got a little bit of knowledge, you know, that that just a little bit of information on psychology that you can apply to everything in your life, you feel like, oh, I've got it. I've got a full grasp. Of and then yeah. you get a little bit more information. You're like, oh, wow, this is a never ending learning process. And until we're able to accept that's kind of what Dunning-Kruger was getting at, trying to be the forever learner. Um, but oh, imposter syndrome is a thing. I see it all the time in my supervisor work. I battled it myself. And it is, I'm really glad that you brought that up as well. So I, I do see where certain aspects of your approach would lend itself to overcoming that imposter syndrome. So really appreciate you highlighting that. Um, just so grateful to have you on today, really. Yeah. Yeah, man, it was great being you and great talking with you. You as well. So uh, everyone, this is Wayne Sasso, mental skills coach based out in Arizona, working with the Air Force. And just wanted to personally thank you for all that you're doing for the service members. It's absolutely incredible. And just really like to have you back on whenever you get a chance, but very grateful to have you on today. Thanks, Wayne. Yeah, man, it's been fun. Take care.